0: Welcome to the Contraception Pod. I'm Maya, and I'm the Catholic.
1: I'm Cassidy, and I'm the Protestant.
0: At a gala at Trump Hotel, never meeting each other prior, Cassidy quietly came up to me in the bathroom and said, What are your thoughts on
1: contraception? This question turned into a never-ending discussion that we decided to take on a podcast. So join us as we discuss contraception and how it affects our world. Hello, listeners. Welcome to a great and exciting episode of The Contraception Pod. We are so excited to be having my friend Erica Denver here with us today. Erica, I'm so glad you're here. Um, Fun fact, Erica was my manager for like one week because we worked at the same organization for a short time before Erica left to go on to be a mom. So Erica, welcome to The Contraception Pod. Will you tell our listeners about yourself?
2: Yes, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm so excited to be talking about my journey um, and my story and share whatever I can with you guys. Um, I'm just born and raised from Southeast Michigan, Um, still live in this area. I'm married now, and me and my husband are expecting our first child any day now, so my due date's on Thursday. (laughs) That is so exciting. Yeah. Wow. I thought, yeah. i glad I could fit this, you know, podcast in with you guys too before the baby comes. So thank yeah. you so much. Thanks yeah. for making time. Yeah, so we are yeah. so thankful for that. And just to get like straight
0: into it for our listeners, um, this this episode, if you didn't see from the title, is about endometriosis. And this is um this is definitely being been a concern in my life, um, as it's something that runs really young and my family and my dad and mom's side. Um, so this has definitely been something close to my heart. And so I'm really excited to hear from Erica. Um, but so, um, Erica was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis. So I guess like the first question, um, for you is how did you get diagnosed with stage four endometriosis?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was having, um, just some personal health issues on my own, um, that, Required me or kind of made me go to the doctors. And I was, it was symptoms such as like bloating. Um, I didn't have painful periods, which I'll talk about that in a little bit, because I know painful periods are heavily associated with endometriosis. I didn't have that, but there was just things that I knew were off. Um, I started with trying to get, I got a colonoscopy. They said everything looked good. So I was trying all these different types of avenues to try to find out what was going on with me. And one of them was the OBGYN. So um, because of that journey, I um got an ultrasound like an internal ultrasound and that's when they found um, I, I believe it was a six centimeter cyst on my right ovary. And the doctor that I was with at the time had mentioned to me that could indicate endometriosis because when a cyst is of that size, um, we will we'll monitor it, it looks like an endometrioma cyst. So that's when it was introduced to me, I was completely shocked because all that I had ever heard of endo was really painful periods, which is very common. It's a very common symptom. Um, I just didn't have it. (laughs) So that was kind of my story of um, being introduced to the fact that I might have endometriosis and then soon after I had been scheduled for a laparoscopic surgery to be officially diagnosed, because that's really the only official way they can check. Um, you can do ultrasounds. I heard there may be some type of inflammation testing that could be around that. But the most the best way to be diagnosed is through laparoscopic surgery. Um, so they had me scheduled for that, I think, a few months after that ultrasound. Um And then it was only about a 20 minute surgery. It was very quick, but as soon as they rolled me out, I got woken up and I said, do I have it? you know, looking for my mom, she was there, my support person at the time. And she's like, yeah. And it's stage four. And I was just completely blown away. I, I really thought I wouldn't have it. Um, so that just kind of hit me like a train, honestly.
1: Wow. That had to be so like, overwhelming in that moment, honestly, because, you know, you'd been having these symptoms and they seemed a bit unexplained and it didn't make sense why you were feeling the way you were. And Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden this unexpected diagnosis. And like you said, you didn't have painful periods, which are often accompanying endometriosis. And so Mm -hmm. that must've been just a lot for your heart to deal with. And to think about that treatment plan you're going into, that must've been very hard.
2: Mm -hmm. It was very hard. Um, my first thought was, Oh, no, is my fertility going to be affected? That was my first thought. And that's really what weighed heavy on my heart. Um, I knew I've always wanted to be a mom. I also didn't know anyone in my own family or I didn't know I have any friends that I was aware of that had endo. Um, so I just felt very alone. And, you know, how do I tackle this? Like, where and, do I go from yeah. here? How old were you at that time? I was 23 at the time. Number. Okay. Um, but leading up to that diagnosis, it was, yeah, early twenties, like 21, 22. I was just noticing like these, these symptoms that were kind of unusual, unexplained, like the extreme bloating, um, my acne would even be kind of affected, you know, my body was just inflamed and I could just tell. Um, so that was my main symptoms. Yeah. And so what was the initial treatment process like for you? hmm So that first surgery, even though it was just a check for endo, was kind of rough. Um, I actually ended up developing a post-surgical infection nine days or right after. But nine days after that, I ended up back in the hospital to get that treated, was in the uh, hospital for three days. So there was a lot. Um, and then when I had followed up with that doctor, the care that I was under at the time, um, you know, I had so many questions, and I was ready. I was. I went into that appointment, like, okay, like I, you know, I need these answers, and especially regarding my fertility and where we go from here. And I kid you not, it was probably about a five-minute appointment. He was in and out, um, and he had explained to me that I will be put on Zoladex, which is a Lupron type of, of drug. It's a menopausal. It induces you into menopause. Um, he said don't worry. People barely notice, um, anything, any symptoms on it. Menopause sounds scary, but you know, it's, it's all good. I'll have you on that for six months. And it's essentially this shot that they insert in right next to your belly button, um, once a month, uh, for six months, it would, um, tell my body don't produce any more estrogen. Um, and then immediately as well. So I would have no periods. I wouldn't ovulate or anything, um, and then he said he p- would perform surgery after that and get rid of all the endo. So from there, I mean, that did not sit well with me. I just didn't yeah. like of being on anything that strong. Um, I personally, myself, I was never on birth control either. So that was just such a new concept to me to not even ovulate or not have periods. Yeah. Um, and then on top of it, I, Again because I was so concerned about my, about my fertility I thought there's no way this could not affect my fertility Maybe you know I might be maybe one of those lucky people in the future who could still you know get pregnant but I just thought I don't want to risk it um, And then more questions came up how does this really help like what is why is this necessary for him to perform surgery on me? do you have to be on a hormonal contraceptive or, you know, a LuBron type drug to have this endometriosis surgery? Um, All of that came into play. So that's when I started researching (laughs) very deeply.
1: (laughs) Wow. So, you know, so much information kind of just being thrown at you all at once and then being told like, you know, we're going to just, you might be, you know, 23, but we're going to put you into menopause. Like that had to be freaky, you know? And so did anything about that, um, that experience cause you to start thinking differently about the care you were receiving?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, I, even the fact that the doctor was, uh, in and out within five minutes, that alone was a huge red flag to me. I couldn't even pull out my phone to ask any of the questions I had originally wrote down. Um, things like that um and then I didn't really just trust his word when he was saying oh you know no women barely notice anything when they're on it you'll be fine um I didn't trust that like you just kind of get this this sense and um immediately my my heart was like no (laughs) <laughs> go yeah. in a different direction. <laughs> and
0: yeah. I, so, I want to point that out to our listeners, something that Cassidy and I are always encouraging is just critically think about everything that's being presented to you. Because in this circumstance, like, I don't think Erica was presented with all the options, right? Just mm-hmm. know that you can question your doctor. And that's okay. Yes, they might have MD, they might have all these special letters behind their name. And mm-hmm. yes, you want to respect their word. But there are and this, like, especially in this circumstance, like it is okay to go ask another doctor's opinion or go talk to someone who has been through this experience as well. You know, I have, a, I think doctors are necessary. I'm not going to tell you, oh, don't have a doctor, but critically think, okay, because these doctors have been told this too, right? Because these are companies that are trying to make money off of, off of the doctor selling, you know, birth control and all of these things. So this is, this is what the doctor's learning. Right. And so like, don't blame them for not, you know, you don't all the time have to blame them for not presenting all the options, but just know that it is okay to critically think about a situation, especially if it doesn't sit right on your heart. So I just wanted to like, really emphasize that point because i think that's just something that so many women i've heard it in conversation when i say you know there's other options besides birth control for this issue that you're having and they'll say well i trust my doctor over you and i'm like well you can just your doctor over me but i trust my doctor <laughs> you know too yeah. and doctors can have differing opinions
2: so yeah yeah uh, it's like it's just the fact that there are other options there's always another way to treat something or whatever it may be. And that was a huge realization for me because I, I remember telling my own mom, like, man, like I just grew up trusting every single provider, which you should, you know, whatever you're going into the doctor to see for you should, Mm. but it really opened up my mind to be like, Oh, well, I guess that can happen. (laughs) You can come across a provider you don't exactly line up with and have to find a second opinion. And that's okay. But just the fact that we need to know that that is available. You need to know that there are other doctors, there are other treatment plans, options, and things like that. Really save time, money, (laughs) your health. Exactly. And so just
0: going into that, could we hear a little bit about what if you switched doctors and what that what pr- treatment you pursued
2: mm-hmm. So I think it was even that same night I was able to find through researching, which re- the research portion of, of this whole journey was definitely um, overwhelming. Um, you know, on top of being diagnosed with something that you didn't know you had ever, Um, and then having to figure out the solution was a lot. And then the research part came in. So that I looked into just the drug first. What is this drug? Zolodex, Lupron, what is it? Immediately found horror stories. (laughs) I mean, that's like really the most simplest way to put it. There are a lot of lawsuits out on it. A lot of women who have openly, bravely shared their stories about how it's affected them, how it's um, they've developed osteoporosis from it because, you know, when you don't produce estrogen, you lose bone density, things like that. Um, they're, they haven't been able to conceive. It affected their ovarian reserve, their egg quality, things like that. So I already knew from probably within 24 hours of that appointment, yeah, I'm not going to pursue with this doctor. Um, and it's kind of funny because I had called them, let them know. And they, I don't know, they didn't have great communication at the office because they called again and were like, oh, we need your insurance information for this. And I'm like, I already said I'm not doing it. Sorry, bye. <laughs> that was pretty much like, peace out, you know, see ya. Um, and then again, through more and more research, I thought, okay, what's next? What's next? So um, I actually went to Instagram first. I typed in endometriosis um, and then I found a lot of pages. And they are also extremely open about that journey of being diagnosed with the same drug, this Lubron menopausal drug. Um, and I didn't understand what I was reading at first, but I just knew, okay, more women are opening up about this. Let's see what they did. And the next thing that I learned from that was um, a type of surgery that women with endometriosis can receive, and it's called excision. Um, And just for reference, I believe it's over um, 90% of just general OBGYN care in our country alone uh, uses an ablation suppression method to treat endo, which was what the first doctor I was with was going to provide for me. So what that means is the way that they go in and remove endometriosis is by burning it off, essentially. Um, and then they also prescribe hormonal contraceptive Lupron, things like that to tame it. Um, and I found out that there's another way to treat it only a specialist can do, which is through excision surgery. So then I was like, okay, where do I find an excision surgeon? (laughs) Um, and I was able to, I discovered a Facebook group, which I encourage any one of you who think, you know, you might have endometriosis or whatever to search up as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, um, it's called Nancy's Nook. It's on Facebook and, um, they are basically like a worldwide, um, endometriosis encyclopedia. I like to call it because, um, they're very, uh, they just have so much information and it's all Research-based, it's not a free-for-all page where people can just post, so it's very monitored. And it's, it simply exists just to put out information for women regarding endometriosis, its treatments, everything. And one of the things that they had on there was a, a worldwide surgeons list. So they separated by country, which surgeons are specialized in this excision surgery um, and really went from there. And I was able to look at the list, um, being from Michigan, um, there was, at the time, one Michigan doctor who was skilled in this surgery, um, but he has since retired, and I actually, he retired right before I would have been able to have surgery with him, which is a bummer. He was located in Ann Arbor, um, so then I looked, I had to look out of state, and I made sure to look somewhere on, like, the east side of the country, maybe even Midwest, um, luckily, my parents were able to help me out, you know, with travel expenses and, and stuff like that, which I was very blessed to be able to do. Um, but um, from there, I, you know, I just searched, googled, okay, who is this doctor? Looked at their website, got familiar, um, and that's how I was able to pursue the excision route of the treatment plan for endometriosis.
1: Wow! And so, what exactly is the procedure of excision?
2: The excision is where they go in and completely cut out the endometriosis. So instead of burning it like ablation would, um, they cut the endometriosis endometriosis out from its root. And what the problem with ablation is is when you burn it, the root of the endometriosis is still left inside your body. So that's why there's a huge, a high like failure rate when it comes to receiving ablation. Um, type of surgery, because it'll probably come back. It's, you know, hard to say everyone's bodies is different, but um, that's just, you know, statistically, it's not as successful as excision.
1: Mm-hmm. So it sounds also like excision surgery would probably be pretty painful. How was that going through excision surgery for you?
2: Yeah. Well, what I realized is it has to be very different for women because um, they did do, like from the research I did, there was a lot of, you know, kind of warning or, or make sure you prepare in this way um, for excision because it can be a longer recovery. Um, but once I received my surgery, to be honest, I felt 100 times better than my first surgery Um even though that first surgery was just a diagnose that doctor actually did go in, not to backtrack a little bit, but he did go in, ended up burning some endo off. I'm not sure where I read it in the surgery notes after that first surgery. Um, so I had received ablation before and I had a terrible recovery after that. So then after I got excision, it was like night and day. Um, I was up and about it within a week, no pain really. Um, and yeah. I mean, it was just, it, like I said, it was just like night and day. Yeah. And how long ago was that? So I received the excision surgery in October of 2020. Oh, so oh. a
0: year and a half. I think. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like, it doesn't
2: seem like it affected your fertility at all. So <laughs> you are <right laughs> man, about to have a baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was, uh, you know, I, so the actually just to kind of you know bring this up too, the, the doctor I ended up choosing was from Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Dr. Kangu Asa. he's from RHM gynecology. He was on that list, and um, when I was looking through it, I felt super called to him. I don't know why. <laughs> like I was like, I have to I have to have surgery with him. There's just something about it. Um looking back, it was definitely the Holy Spirit. But it turns out um he was this did not know until I got there, um, a Catholic surgeon as well. Um, just everything that, that related to me and, and gave me so much just trust in him. Um, and it's just crazy that I didn't know that until I got there to, for my appointment. Yeah. Um, but so, um, yes. And then I received the trip was kind of, you kind of, a. I don't know. I don't want to say weird, but um, what ended up happening is we had like a phone appointment first when I had first found him, which was in August. And I actually scheduled the surgery after that. And he went over my whole background records. I sent him my records. So he knew exactly um, the type of patient and the care that I needed. Yeah. Um, and then um, it really, you just put all your trust into that doctor from that point on because I scheduled the surgery and so when I I had to spend a week in Atlanta Georgia um like Monday I arrived had the pre-op appointment uh had to get COVID tested right after that um it was like right in the middle of COVID and everything too so that didn't really (laughs) help but and then uh surgery oh the there was um kind of like uh pre-op procedures I had to do, which was like a um, oh, what's it called? Sorry. <laughs> I can't remember. But basically like you empty out all your bowels, you you start taking um painkiller medicine right before, like the day before. So that was on the wo- Thursday, I believed. And then Friday morning was the surgery. Um So it was like this whole week process and that was kind of overwhelming too. You know, you, again, you kind of, you put all your trust into the surgeon, even though you had one phone appointment. Mm -hmm. Um, but it went by pretty quickly. My sister accompanied me on that. Um, and it was just so smooth sailing, which was again, just amazing. I had really little to no anxiety or fear over it just was so ready to, to get it treated. Um, and I do want to, like kind of put out a little bit of warning everyone's experience you know with receiving this surgery is so different because all of our endometriosis in our bodies are different they're going to be in different locations the severity of it um so just being pregnant now is is truly truly a miracle yeah. um, he had told me right after that surgery um i i stayed in the hospital overnight and He showed me all the photos. They take like photos of everything, which is pretty crazy. Um, He had told me it was all the way um, up my abdominal wall on my right side. It was on my diaphragm. I had to get my appendix taken out. Um, Yeah. They were able to cut the cyst out on my right ovaries and still, you know, preserve my ovary, which was great. Um, I found out I had a bike bicornuate, I might be pronouncing it wrong, but a bicornuate uterus, which is actually a heart-shaped uterus, which could also affect your fertility because it can affect implantation. They didn't know that until they got in there. So he said, and I was able to reshape it. Like I basically, you know, I reshaped it for you, um, all these crazy things. And then he told me, he said, I'm not going to lie to you. Your best bet to conceive is within a year of this surgery. And it's not because the endometriosis might come back, but it's just after you could get surgery, you know, scar tissue, it's inevitable, it'll develop. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I had a lot of scar tissue because of that endo before that, you know, that he was able to basically take off, like my um, bladder was stuck to my uterus, things like that, which is so crazy that I wasn't experiencing pain because it looked like (laughs) a war zone in there
1: wow. <laughs> looking at all the
2: pictures
1: yeah because not just in your uterus it had gone to many different yes origins. that's wow. Now, wow it yeah it's pretty common especially like when you have
2: stage four it's pretty common to see it um all over your bowels and yeah. um, really can spread up so um yeah so then he told me "I'm," he said i'm gonna be completely honest with you your best bet is a year after your surgery and then um I was able to still be a patient under his care after that, which is great. Um, they taught me how to track my cycle. They were continuously taking checking my hormone levels, my blood yeah. levels.
0: I was gonna ask you about that. Like, were your hormone levels like out of whack a lot, like during that time, before that? And did what did you do to like support those? Because I know a lot of women are given birth control to support that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like. Uh, one of the first things that they noticed while they were checking my blood is that my vitamin D was super low and vitamin D is really essential for fertility as well. So they, um, put me on a vitamin D prescription at first, cause mine was really low. <laughs> it, was, it was like in the eight range and it should be in, I don't know, like forties or fifties. Um, so I had to be put on a prescription for vitamin D and then I was encouraged to take vitamin D supplements. Um, they discovered I had some sort of like blood, low blood sugar or like insulin issues. So they put me on a supplement called ovacetal, which is a lot of women, I think with PCOS are normally put on. Um, it's really helpful, really supportive. So being under that care and them constantly, maybe like once a month or once every few months, getting my blood checked, them checking in, okay, like, how are your symptoms and all that was so supportive. And it was all just really to look at to try to find the root cause of everything I was experiencing
1: yeah, um,
2: yeah so I was able to tell him um, when I got pregnant like oh by the way like I'm pregnant
0: that's so <laughs> yeah. that's so awesome yeah
2: yeah and he had yeah. said to him, like that's a miracle yeah that's right there yeah.
0: And, and just like one more question based off of that, like during your pregnancy, was there anything special that you had to do like per his, um, per his maybe like mentorship or something on this because
2: of this surgery? Um, there was a concern that I might've had low progesterone. Okay. Um, so I was put on progesterone when I, the when I first told him, like I'm pregnant, blah, blah, blah. They had prescribed that to me just in case. Um, so that was a little bit different than what, you know, general OBGYNs do here. Um, but other than that, I all my levels looked pretty good. So yeah, I was pretty healthy and yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And I just want to add like something on that for our ladies. And like my my mom has always like helped me through this because I started my period really young. And so I like when I was eight. So um I so because of that, and then having really painful periods, and then having um, um, what is it, I- IBS, and all of that, basically, my my mom was like, "These are like all the signs of endos." So she's been taking me to, you know. Um, take me to, um, what's a functional medicine doctor, just really monitoring and helping my hormones and my vitamin levels. And the main thing was always vitamin D, um, which is also because our people just lack the sun half the yeah. time too, and then because, you know, we don't live in a society anymore where you're outside all the time, you know? Um, but for, you know, our ladies out there that are listening and think that endo might be something that they, that runs in their family, that they might be struggling with. Um, and maybe you're not so far on in like stage four, maybe you, I know for ladies who just have like, like, I don't, I don't know what exactly like the pre pre parameters uh, for each, for each stage of it is, but Mm -hmm. like for ladies who might not have it so bad, have been told to like get on hormonal birth control. And like, there are like more dietary things you can do to balance your hormones and to balance because the main issue or the main the main like problem is estrogen dominance, right? But there's so much you can do, like literally eating carrots, like I eat carrots every day, these eating carrots balances your estrogen levels. Like there's so many natural things you can do too. So I'd encourage you, you know, if your doctor is telling you, you know, get on hormonal boor- birth control, let's talk about that, you know, talk, go to a functional medicine doctor. Let's look at what you're lacking. Let's look at, you know, to find a doctor who an OB, GYN who like, who knows like there are, a lot of, there are Catholic ones that will help you through this. And, um, that I'm, I'm trying to find a new one where I live. So I actually have an appointment in a couple of weeks and I'm really praying that um, they'll, you know, help me figure all of that out. And, you know, if it's something that you struggle with, you know, maybe try to get like routinely checked up on that, you know, yearly or something. If you really feel like, don't let that be like a barrier in your life, like a stress, like, oh, I might have this. Like, you know, it's okay to go get it checked out if you're having symptoms and stuff. Yeah. Don't let that be a barrier uh, over your life. Like, oh, like, you know, get it checked out. And then just, it just, it's beautiful how our bodies work when we, when we work with our bodies, when we don't just cover up the problem, you know, or, you know, overfill our body with all these fake hormones, right. Mm -hmm. Our bodies need to just be set on the right track. And, um, and you will feel so much better, you know, um, just me, like I was so like down and like depressed. Like I was just so like tired and depressed all the time. Instead of, until I went to the functional medicine doctor and realized that my vitamin D and my iron and all of that, which are two things that our world is severely lacking in. And, um, and we don't eat enough, like beef liver and all these things, yeah. but, but seriously, y'all like it is healing, um, and I've been list. I've been. I follow a lot of Indo pages too, but like, and I've seen women be healed um, or be in a much better state because of um, because of changing diet and helping just balancing their hormones. So, just you know, that's that's my message to the girls too. Also, is just like critically think. Like, just because your doctor tells you need to get on birth control doesn't mean you need to. I was texting with mm-hmm. a lady the other day who said she was on it for eight months and she was she just felt so angry and horrible and just felt like so depressed and awful because you're putting all of these hormones into you. And if your hormones already out of whack, you know, you know, it's not going to help much. And so she got off of it and now everything is worse than it was before. So, you know, it's about getting to the root of the issue and, you know, instead of just covering it and kind of, I think it plays into that, what you were saying, it doesn't destroy the burning of it, doesn't destroy the root, so the mm-hmm. endo can come back, it can, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, it has a high failure rate, you know, yeah. so, um, like, it's like, I w- it's like, endo wasn't discovered until the, until, eight, like, first case of endometriosis was, like, 1890, which is Mm -hmm. crazy. So it's like, what have we done different with our food and processing our food and all of that that's causing our hormones and everything to be so Mm -hmm. out of whack? And so just like really, you know, think about that. But on that note, Erica, what would you say to the girl that's been prescribed birth control for issues that she's having that might be a sign of endo or just really, um, just really of anything, you know, even just a painful period or acne, what
2: would you say? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say Um, you know, it's, it's up to you at the end, at the end of the day on how you want what treated or how you view your health, but there is a way to improve your quality of life. There always is. And kind of like what you were mentioning with this multidisciplinary, disciplinary care, where you can not only treat the endo a different way without just, you know, putting a bandaid on it with birth control, but you can go see a pelvic floor therapist. That's something that's really important. Um, My doc, my surgeon, the excision surgeon um, wrote a script for me to see after the surgery to continue that care. Um, It really, you know, messes with your pelvic floor. So that's one thing Um, you can, you know, see what where you're lacking hormonally or, you know, your vitamin levels, things like that. There's so much you can support. It's going to take a lot of work, but at the end of the day, you're going to learn your body and your health in the most best way that you can. You're going to be so educated and you're just, you're going to improve your quality of life. And I think that every woman, every girl who might suffer from this deserves that you deserve the best quality of life that you can. And um, there is support out there. So just look, look towards, you know, just simply even search up endometriosis on Instagram, Um, see what you like, see some pages might not align with you and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Go to Nancy's Nook on Facebook. There are resources, there are support, and we all go through this. So many women go through it and just know that you're not alone. Yeah. So many women
0: go through it. It's Mm -hmm. crazy to me. Um, And I love, I just really want to emphasize that I'll let Cassidy in this off, but just like support your body. Yeah. It may be harder, but you will have, I think, in my opinion, a much greater chance of having a child because, you know, Mm -hmm. going on, you know, and maybe that's not the biggest focus of your mind, but not just having a child, but supporting your life quality of life for like in the length of your life, because mm-hmm. I mean, you're literally cutting off your brain, like talking, like, like communicating with your, with your uterus. Like there is so much like with your body. Right. And you're just, and you're resting with your body for years and you're telling your body it's pregnant for so long that when you want to have a child, it's going to be, it's going to be probably, it will probably be much harder, you know? And so Mm -hmm. there's so many ways to support that support your fertility. If that's what the main issue is in your mind. And also, you know, support, like, like we talked about filling up your body with these fake hormones over time, you know, back in the day it used to be like just one was horrible for you, but you're filling it up yourself up with that over time and that can have horrible ramifications for your body like strokes like we talked about in another podcast. So, I just want to emphasize that like you know, it might be it might seem harder and longer and maybe even more expensive now. Um But like, I've had to make that decision for me on my budget is like, you know, I am going to spend the extra money on these vitamins and beef liver and (laughs) essential oils and things to support me because I feel better. I get things done a hundred times faster and I want to smile at every single person I encounter because my hormones are in balance and I, and and my periods don't hurt, you know, like, you know, sometimes they'll hurt based on my diet, but (laughs) that month, but yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, Erica, it's neat to hear your journey. And I love that you talk about how as you learned more and as you started to realize you were gonna have to kind of take responsibility for what was happening, especially with your first doctor not giving you solutions that ultimately were gonna be the most helpful, you had to kind of just take charge. And I love how you were like, I wanted to improve my quality of life. Like that's a really good way to look at it as a patient because um, you know, I work in healthcare, and whenever I have a patient who is not motivated to take care of themselves, um, in the ICU, this can be a patient like who has a young patients that have like uncontrolled diabetes and might choose to never check their blood sugar. Blood sugar is like 500 all the time to 1,000, and they will eventually have necrosis, and that means that they could like lose their limbs and all these crazy things, which is not common by the way. If you are following you know your doctor's recommendations, that probably won't happen. But the point being, when a patient is motivated to do something to take care of their health, they typically have a lot better um, long-term outcomes, and it's bit exciting to see that that's been the case for you, Erica. So I think what happened, you know, with your journey is it also led you into a new passion. Is that the case?
2: Yes. Yeah. So the passion that <laughs> I was developed, um, or that had developed from this whole journey was learning how to track my cycle. <laughs> um, I didn't know that was a tool that I could use at all. Um, even though I was never on birth control, I didn't know that I could track my ovulation or even just check the quality of my periods that I was having um, mm-hmm. symptoms along the way. So I was encouraged to um, take a training course on FEM. It's called, it stands for Fertility Education and Medical Management um, to where I can now teach other Um, girls women whoever ends up needing you know these courses through their OBGYN um, how to track their cycle and look at their overall health Um, ovulation is key in that are you ovulating if not let's see what's going on because that affects your overall health Um, so that was the new passion that I developed from this whole journey
1: that's so amazing Erica and a tease to our listeners come back to a future episode and we can hear from Erica about them Thanks so much for tuning in listeners. We're, We're about out of time. Have a great rest of your week and God bless you. Thank you.